0: Hello and welcome to Outside Inside Radio. I'm Kathy Foley-Meyer, your host. And I'm very excited today to be here with Cheryl Bonacci. Cheryl's actually a woman of many, many hats. She's a member of the Prison Art Collective's board. She has many years of experience with criminal justice reform. She's currently the Director of Storytelling for the Civil Rights Corps. In the past, she's been Executive Director of the Harold Robinson Foundation. She's also served as Deputy Director of Healing Dialogues and Action. And she's also the founder of Harmony and Hope. So, Cheryl, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. I'm happy to be here on a a very poignant day for you.
0: Yeah. 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 So I have to ask after that long list, because I think you were also one of the founding executives of the anti recidivism coalition, coalition, the ARC. Yeah. So what got you started in this line of work?
1: You know, um, I used to tell the story that I started as a Catholic chaplain working with youthful offenders. So children that we were sending off to prison for up to LWAP sentences. And my son was a year old at the time that I started. And I used to tell the story that I was in church one day in this cute older couple. The woman had a gray bun and glasses and white gloves on. And they were sharing how they work with young people that are in juvenile hall who feel lost and alone and like nobody cares about them. And I thought, well, I'm about halfway between the age of this couple and, and these kids. Maybe there's something for me to do there. So I started volunteering as a chaplain. Um, and the first time I went, I do think that sister Claudia, who was our chaplain at the time, I do think that she was testing me because she sent me into the compound to work with children that were being tried as adults. And I thought she was testing me in hindsight. I think she was testing me to see if I was cut out for this work. And a 15 year old kid made me a rose out of toilet paper and asked me if I was coming back. Um, and I (laughs) said, yes, I am. And I was hooked, but reflectively, that was only part of the story. Reflectively, years later, I realized that it was, yes, that moment, and yes, that experience, but it was also that at the time, my relationship was falling apart, and I identified with what felt broken in those children. And granted, my experience is drastically different than the experiences that they were having, but it made me realize that... You know, it's in our brokenness oftentimes that we find common ground and shared healing space. So it, it had a personal impact on me and a 15 year old young man making me a rose out of toilet paper.
0: It's so touching, but it also makes you think, you know, the, the work you do is, is definitely, you know, there's an activism to it, but you also sort of wonder if we were able to create more caring space, a more caring world in general, how some of these. Kids may not go off the rails. And I was wondering how, you know, as a chaplain, can you imagine a way in which we could do that?
1: I think you said it beautifully. It is not, and I've trained seminarians, I've worked with Jesuit novices who are becoming Jesuit priests and are volunteers. And the truth is, is that the work isn't difficult. The work is to, I always felt like when we walk into a unit, Kids know we're the church people, right? So really, so how I see and treat them is to me somehow connected to how they see their relationship with God, how they see their faith. So I, my only intention every time I walked into a unit was to make sure every child that I encountered felt loved, valued, and heard. We can talk about scripture if you want to. We can talk about, I always said we use, we do our God work through the back door is that my spending time with you and seeing you as a, as a child and as a human being is what Jesus would do to me. And I believe that so often our kids who are caught up in the system don't see their inherent value. And so if I can mirror for you the beautiful human that I see in front of me, at some point, you might start to recognize that person too. And when you recognize that, the beauty and inherent goodness and value in yourself, you will make whatever changes you can make in your life to shift the course of your life. But I'm not shifting anybody's course in life. I'm not changing anybody's life. I am just walking with young people to help them find their way to their own strength.
0: Yeah, no, that's really beautiful. And I think... Obviously, the boy who gave you the rose felt that. He felt seen and wanted to keep on feeling seen. And that's why he wanted to know if you were going to come back. So I'm, I'm curious, with all of your years of experience, what do you think is the most unknown or unrecognized need that people who are coming out of prison have? I think it's complex.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think above all else, a place where they belong a place where they see themselves. So our philosophies at ARC were always that we want you to feel seen when you come to this organization. So there is potentially a lifer sitting at the front desk. So someone coming home from incarceration could walk into our office and it might take you a while to feel me out, to understand that I understand or, or, or feel as though I understand what your experiences are and I empathize with your experiences. But when you see someone at the front desk who looks like you, you know, they get it. You know, they know that look on your face, that you're uncomfortable, that you're unsure of yourself, that you're not sure what you're looking for, all those things. There's an unspoken language of understanding. So we always wanted people to feel as though ARC was their initial nucleus of community, and then with the allies that we have, um, our partners, the people that that support our members, that broadens their community, and then partnering with companies and organizations and and systems people to then broaden that community. We slowly support people in broadening that that sense of space where they where they recognize that they. I belong. I think mostly because all of the other things, employment and housing um, and and mental health support and all of those things are needed, right? Those tangible right. things are needed. But if I don't feel that I have a place I belong, mm-hmm. um, i it's more difficult to find my way.
0: Yeah. And I think we, we tend to focus or we tend to think because of the way our society is structured, well, you know, we They need to be employed. So we need to get them a job and we need to get them a place to live. And then it's sort of like, okay, we've, we're done. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, the transitional
1: housing model, which we've made great strides. in. That is that, so we can provide, you know, the system provides 90 days of transitional housing and then you should be good. Right. (laughs) No.
0: And no, exactly. There's so much more there's so much more to life. And part of it is how you are feeling about yourself as you're moving through the world. So if you're, you know, sort of coming back into the world after being separated for so long, you know, you are going to need some support. So I was really interested in the group you founded Harmony and Hope. And on your site, it says gender conscious supportive programming for people being released from incarceration. So How do the needs of men, women, and non-gender binary people differ in that situation?
1: So to give you a little background, actually Harmony and Hope has sort of, um, I've blended with one of my daughters, Brittany Walker, who has created Butterfly's Haven. and So the impetus for the inspiration for Harmony and Hope was creating supportive residential spaces and networks for women. Mm -hmm. Because historically, the prison system the transitional system, the reentry system, all of it has been designed around women, men connected to, to the prison system. Um, and women have been an afterthought, right? It's always, you know, historically, you want to do this, you know, support group for women. Sure, we'll do the same kind of workshop we do for men. We'll just do it with a group of women. It's like, well, no. The needs are different. So the inspiration for Harmony and Hope was to create those spaces in that network for women and non-binary and non-binary identifying people. What I've done since, partly because I um, have recently taken this position with the Civil Rights Corps, which I'm super excited about, I've blended this project with Butterfly's Haven which is a young lady that I know, one of my kids, Prophet Walker, as Brittany is his sister. And so she is also my daughter. And she is creating this program for single women with children under the age of seven. So it's not about a program. It's actually about, to my point earlier, of creating community. It's about creating shared community in a way that is affordable um, mm-hmm. In a way that that we can leverage each other's resources and tools. There's 24-hour childcare, and she's got a beautiful project evolving in LA right now that I'm that I'm happy to support and happy to bring my philosophies for harmony and hope to Butterflies Haven.
0: That is wonderful. It's so nice that you get to work with your kids. <laughs> I know. Great. <laughs> So the title Director of Storytelling is actually a very awesome title. (laughs) It seems more powerful than uh, CEO, you know, one of the sort of official titles that we're more familiar with. Can you talk a little bit about your work and what a director of storytelling does and about the power of storytelling?
1: Right, And I agree with you. it it is it sounds powerful and it is powerful because I think that is where the real that is where the real change happens. We need CEOs and we need executive directors without question. Um, but I think language is important. And we've seen a lot of that in the work that we do is recognizing the kind of language that we use and being intentional about how we speak, see, and and treat people primarily our most vulnerable and marginalized populations. So the Director of Storytelling, this is my first full week. So we're getting some Cheryl fresh legs on this position, but I'm thrilled. The Civil Rights Corps is an organization that works around shifting the balance of power and systems, changing systems through powerful litigation. They've done some amazing work around prosecutorial misconduct, bail reform, fees and fines, There are really some innovative legal minds in the organization, and so the director of storytelling is really humanizing the issues and elevating the stories, you know, we can talk about these issues from a policy or legal perspective, right, and argue that the law says and it should and the law should change and, and those kind of heady aspects of it. The idea of storytelling helps us understand the importance and the people that this system has taken a very negative and devastating toll on. And it's work that we really did a lot of at ARC around shifting the narrative around how legislators understand the purpose and value of changing these laws is when Scott Budnick and our TNR incredible allies took a group of lifers, former lifers to, um, to Sacramento to discuss policy changes and legislative changes. That's when things started to shift because once we know each other, we are less likely to other Each other, and I think othering is, you know, perhaps our biggest epidemic among among other things. If we stop othering each other, we'll find our common ground.
0: Yeah. No. I actually, I think the United States needs a director of storytelling. I like that. You know, we would not have this tussle that you can tell is going to go on for a long time. Over the stories that we tell about ourselves as a nation yeah, and how, how much truth can we bear and still walk through life together?
1: Yeah. What if we were each our own director of storytelling? You know, I saw this story one time that, um, I think it's in Denmark, maybe that somebody created a human library where you can go in and you can, you know, book time with another human and listen to each other's stories like I
0: love that I want to I want to check out the book of Kathy yeah and you kind of wonder because it takes bravery actually to kind of listen especially now when we're in some ways still encouraged to not show our best selves to one another perhaps not as virulently as we were you know a year or so ago but it's there's still that kind of energy in the air But there's also an amount of energy being directed at people who are incarcerated um, in terms of restoring their right to vote, for example. You know, because there are all sorts of ways we're encouraged to think about people who are incarcerated. At the same time that there is encouragement for us to have compassion, there's also this kind of crime focus on crime statistics. You know, it's a struggle to constantly keep the human at the forefront of this type of work. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to detour, actually, to, can you talk a little bit about um, your work with the Harold Robinson Foundation?
1: You know, the last couple of years, I, I left ARC in 2018, and for the last couple of years, I've been working primarily with three organizations, the Harold Robinson Foundation, Healing Dialogue in Action, and the National Institute for Criminal Justice Reform, NICJR. They all work in different areas of this culture systemic change, and um, and I and I think that the depth of my experiences as a direct service provider, as a Catholic chaplain, and and creating infrastructure and programming at ARC, um, all of those experiences have helped me be able to see all of these different angles of of need and i remember when i was a chaplain watching young people go off to prison for lwop sentences for life without the possibility of parole and feeling extremely helpless um i would always think that there's so many issues here there's so many things that need to be fixed I can't fix them all. This department that I work in can't fix them all. So I would sort of, in my, you know, in my faith space, um, would always hope that there was somebody who was cutting off this Medusa head, who would be doing the work to stop sending kids here, stop feeding this system these children to throw away. The Harold Robinson Foundation does just that. They create social emotional learning creative camp. Programs For young people, primarily fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, intentionally, we work with that population. And I connected with Jeff and Joyce Robinson, the founders, through ARC, because they wanted to have our members work as counselors, because they were once those children. Mm -hmm. They were once those children before something went left. Before something went wrong. And so they really felt that our members, as now, you know, 25, 30 year old adults, could be great mentors because the children that are in Camp Ubuntu. So Ubuntu is the philosophy that I am because we are. I have value because you have value, right? The same way that that Namaste recognizes the goodness in me, recognizes the goodness in you. Ubuntu recognizes that we rise and fall together and we need each other. That is the foundation of Harold Robinson Foundation's programs. So we have camp programs that we take schools out to a sports complex in the Angeles National Forest for weekend retreats. What makes it different than a traditional camp program is that we not only bring the students, but we bring teachers, parents, community members, because what we recognize was happening when these kids were sharing emotions that they had never shared before, recognizing and giggling and laughing and living in a way in their beautiful childness, that they hadn't been. We wanted the community to see that and to be able to develop ways to bring those tools and bring that light that our kids showed up in back to the community. So the weekend retreats include parents, teachers, and community members. And then what we did in order to keep the connection between our organization and, the, and our campers was created a uh, six-week camp program at Markham Middle School which is where all of our fifth and sixth graders were matriculating into. And it can be, you know, middle school is funky. Middle school is funky. It was funky for my son. And all I could keep saying to him for three years was, "Ah, it's funky, sweetie girls are funky, you're funky, academics are funky. It's no man's land. Add to it the complexities of living in, in South LA and the complexities of at Markham Middle School where, four different housing development populations come together in one place, it's a recipe for a lot of challenges and insecurity and safety issues. And so the Harold Robinson Foundation does an amazing job in working with LAUSD and our our young people and families in stopping to feed that school-to-prison pipeline.
0: Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. And I was thinking when you were speaking that I think a lot of people feel that when they read about programs like this, or they read about people who are incarcerated, I think a lot of people feel sort of overwhelmed. You know, they feel like, oh my God, the problems, they're so intertwined. There's economics in there, and there's social history. And, and, you know, they get sort of frustrated and might think to yourself, well, how could I possibly have an impact on any of that? It feels really entrenched. So, do you have any words of advice for somebody who might want to contribute, put their energy in but isn't sure exactly how to do it?
1: Yeah, you know, I would think about what area you feel comfortable that you can work in, if working with young people and and taking up this that this piece of the parachute that is preventing children from, from being part of the system, there are the organizations like the Harold Robinson Foundation, there's Watts Empowerment Center, there's inside out writers in working with young people to trying to, to prevent them from becoming part of the adult system. So there are a lot of organizations that work in that sector. I also think that if nothing else, and i've always talked about this like when i when i talk at a church or something we talk about what can what can i do right now that we've awakened people to an issue or challenge what can i do if your capacity is to write a check Wonderful because a check is needed. A check for small organizations doing the boots on the ground work is important. If you can volunteer, I would invite you to volunteer in a way that you can be consistent, especially working with young people, because consistency is a huge issue. They are used to people leaving, they are used to people just being there for a moment and, and then disappearing. I think that educating yourself, finding people to learn from, not that, you know, we had this issue with when Black Lives Matter came to light, all black people are not responsible for teaching us what being black is. That is not anybody's job. It's like, so. tell me what I need to know about being black. Like, no. <laughs> I always find that funny. Yeah. Um, you know, look at look at places, Be be reflective. On ways where you may have implicit bias. Don't be afraid of, we can't be afraid of our own shortcomings because we're never, if I pretend that I don't have it, I'm never going to be able to heal it and I'm never going to be able to grow. So be willing to say, I don't understand.
0: I know that you're going to make a mistake.
1: Yes. And where can I do my work to understand? Not where can you, Kathy, do my work for me to make me a better ally, advocate, accomplice?
0: But we're going to make mistakes with each other as human beings. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to feel bad about it. But we kind of have to be generous in our hearts with each other to say, oh, well, you know, it's okay. And I think when you were speaking about the strength in showing up regularly, there's a certain kind of pathology with disappointment that gets internalized. And so if you're constantly being disappointed by other human beings, that affects how you move through the world.
1: And how you see yourself and your own inherent worth. Right. But the consistency of people leaving, or if the if the common theme in people leaving is me, it must be me. It must be me. Sad, who's broken, <laughs> yes. who's
0: not worthy. I must not be worth staying for. Right. You know, and it's like, no, we're all worth Staying for actually and showing up for. So I can tell in your work that you are somebody who believes in the healing power of art. So I'm curious if there are artists of any stripe, you know, visual writerly, musically, that inspire you, or maybe that you've used to inspire people in the work that you do?
1: I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Paolo Coelho, and everybody should read The Alchemist.
0: You know, you are the second person that I've interviewed to tell me to read The Alchemist, which I have pulled off the shelf and have not read. But okay, now I'm going to find a copy. And
1: The Alchemist is one. Mm-hmm. Um, another Paolo Coelho book called Warrior of the Light, Mm-hmm. And this is a book I came across early on in it as a chaplain, and it's written more like a Khalil Gibran, the Prophet, right? Where you're not—it's not a novel, right? It's not a story like *The Alchemist*, but it—it's—it something that I would sort of just open a page and look at what the experience was that he was describing and the wisdom that he was sharing, under the premise that, and I—I I connected with it because every child I encountered in juvenile hall was a warrior Mm. and they were a warrior in mostly the negative ways. Right. So, and, and the helplessness of watching children go off to prison and not knowing, knowing that there's nothing that I can do really to help them survive. So what I came up with in my head was that I would take excerpts from warrior of the light and I would write it down and I would send it to like, All of my kids that were inside, so I'd be sending 10, 15 letters to them, and I would send my thoughts on how I saw this particular particular excerpt, um, how I thought it was relevant to them. And then I would invite them to write me back and you can disagree with me. You can, you can agree with me and share your thoughts and how you're going to live. And I kept thinking, if I can keep doing that, then all of the warriors of light that are living in this dark of dark places of prison will find each other. They will right. recognize each other as they're doing their own work, and they will begin to heal that
0: system from the inside out. And did that happen? Did that energy spark?
1: It did. And a lot of... I have one young man who just came home last week who saved just about every letter that I wrote him. Wow. And it really was proved to be a helpful tool. The other book that I discovered, and I forget if I discovered it before my, if I introduced my son to it in middle school or him reading in middle school, introduced it to to my kids. But at some point, my son was the same age as my kids in, in the hall. And so there was a really interesting parallel of watching him evolve in in this same funky space in life and having a very different experience. But it's Touching Spirit Bear. Touching Spirit Bear is about it's about a young man who is, you know, lost and confused and struggling with who he's going to be in the world and his work with elders in a in a native community and working through that healing process. So those are three books that I really like that I think you can read at any age. Yeah, and and get some. Whatever.
0: Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. It has been a total pleasure talking to you. And I wish you only good things as the director of storytelling for the Civil Rights Corps.
1: Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate it. I cannot be more grateful for all the work that PAC does. I think both inside institutions and, um, and in the community. I go back a long way with Annie's mom, Annie's mom, Alice, one of our volunteers at juvenile hall and she holds a special place in my heart and i've watched annie develop this organization for over 10 years so i'm grateful for all the work being done including what you're doing here
0: thank you and we are grateful for the work that you do and uh, we'll continue to carry on with the healing power of the arts i love it Thanks, thank you bye-bye Outside Inside Radio is brought to you by Prison Arts Collective. Prison Arts Collective is founded on the belief that art is a human right and is dedicated to bringing the transformative power of the arts to people experiencing incarceration. Our collaborative teaching teams include faculty, students, staff, and peer facilitators inside the prisons. Our classes include art making, art history, reflection, and the cultivation of a safe space. We are based at San Diego State University and partner with universities including UC Irvine and Cal State University campuses in Humboldt, Fullerton, and San Bernardino. Prison Arts Collective is a project of Arts in Corrections, an initiative of the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Outside Inside Productions are a way to communicate with our participants and with the wider public through video and other media as an extension of our distance learning project created in response to COVID-19. Each of our guests is involved in bringing the arts to people experiencing incarceration. Many are returned residents who continue to pursue a creative life or artists working directly with incarcerated populations to expand access to the arts. A special thanks to MIGFUS20 and RTB45 for the music used in the podcast. Take good care and see you next time on Outside Inside.